Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to episode 16 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Before we start today with our podcast talk about data, and how to build a data-driven culture with Dido Bigger, who is a chief data officer and now also a new CIO at El Al, Israel Airlines, I would like to tell you about two new Digging Trail initiatives. The first one is our new Airline Digital Academy. I really believe being better at digital will be a key part of airline recovery, and we designed the Academy to help you get the right skills for the future. Academy is built on micro-community environment, so we have only 30 spots available and a personalized approach. And I really mean personalized, because we talk to each candidate individually, we want to learn about you, about your background, and really want to make sure you'll be a good fit in the community and that we can really help you grow as a digital and e-commerce professional. We take care to find appropriate airline professionals for the program, because Peer-to-peer engagement and idea sharing will be a huge part of the program. So far, we have e-commerce people, digital people, revenue management pros, digital innovation pros that signed up for our program. So it's really a great and diverse group that shares one same passion, and that is to learn, engage, and talk about all things airline digital and e-commerce. Now, there is one other part that is very important in the Academy, and that is data and analytics. And we will talk a lot about data in today's podcast. Bostian, who joined us for today's talk, is a co-mentor in the Academy. He will lead module three, which will be about analytics. And he recently completed an advanced analytics training at Harvard and MIT, and he worked and led Agile BI and analytics projects for the last 15 years. He will help you find insights in data, teach visualization, and he already prepared a vast amount of real airline data that you will be able to work hands-on in in the Academy. So if you want to learn and work with me and Bustian and other great digital pros, please check digintrail.com slash academy or reach out to me individually on LinkedIn. The second initiative we started is the Airline Digital Job Board. I know it's tough for many of you currently and many great airline digital pros lost their jobs. This is why I want to help you, or at least some of you, by providing you a board with currently open airline digital opportunities. The idea here is to connect airlines that are investing in digital teams and looking for digital talent with our great Digging Trail community. We have aged jobs listed currently on the board. So we have jobs at Wizz Air, at Qatar Airways, and some other airlines. And if you work for an airline and have an uh, opportunity or opening, let me know, and I'll personally promote your job to more than 5,000 digital pros in our community. Check divintradle.com, and you can find jobs in the header menu and see our job board. We'll also provide a recommendation for your newly learned digital skills for everybody that will complete our Digital Academy. 
and will help you connect with the airline digital uh, community and find the best opportunity for you. Now let's start with our talk with Ido. Ido is one of the best data experts I know in the airline industry and to me it was really amazing to hear how they implemented the data-driven culture in practice. And if you listen to the end, there is a bonus. You can hear how Ido challenged me personally to, to a one-on-one -on -one duel. What kind of duel? Listen to the full podcast and you'll see. Enjoy the show. Today on the Digging Trail podcast, I'm talking to two people actually, and they're not just any two. They're two of my favorite airline data people. Uh, so the first person is Bustian. Hi. He's my colleague. My, hi, Bustian, my partner at Digging Travel Academy. He's an instructor for the digital analytics and analytics part in the academy. And we did many data projects in the past for travel and airline companies together. And the second one is Ido. How are you, my friend? Aido, he is the CDO, Chief Data Officer at Elal. And today we are going to talk about all things data analytics and, of course, uh, in the airline context. Before we start, Bustian, you're always telling me that if you start the podcast, we need to start it about the data with the bank and that you want to talk to an airline CDO. <laughs> so today we have one on the podcast. If you would have only one question, what would be the one that you would ask him? Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. So, you know, the, the problem in airline industry is that whenever I talk to anybody, they're saying, no, airline is different. Our industry is different. We have so many standards, safety first. Um, so my question to you, Ido, would be, is airline really that different? Is it is it true that we need to do analytics completely differently, that we have more rules, that we can't be flexible? How's your take on that? Wow, that's a great question because I had the privilege of being uh, in many, many industries, such as the financial industry, uh, the telecommunication, e-commerce. I was working a lot in, in enterprises uh, and dealt with data. I think the main issue that uh, might cause uh, the answers that you, uh, you got from other airlines is that we're dealing with um, a quantity of of, you know, an amount of um, systems that I've never seen before. So, for example, in the telco, I used to work with, you know, 60, 70 different systems. Now it's over 100. And all the different uh, pillars that I'm confronting uh, on a daily basis now is something that I'm not used to or I wasn't used to in, in other industries because in an airline, it's like uh, joining seven different companies. And when I first joined Elal, it was totally, it, it totally felt like this, you know, taking data from seven different companies and joining it together. Uh, so I think uh, this is the main difference, you know, the cultural difference, the pillars, the different pillars that act as, as, as their own companies. Uh, but technology wise, you know, it's the same, uh, the same thing. I love it uh, in, in, in all different kinds and all different enterprises. And the challenges are the same besides the cultural thing. So you mentioned that you worked in other industries, right? Um, yes. What, what was your journey? Like, how did it look like when you, when you joined the airline? You mentioned a few things already, like, like joining seven different companies. But since then, 
you, you came a long way. And so what was this evolution um, like? Well, I will tell you a bit about the evolution before the airline, and then uh, maybe it will be easier for us to understand the journey within the airline, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. So um, I started my journey, my data journey, data analytics journey, uh, as uh, you know, BI developer or DV, you know, BI project manager implementing uh, data warehouses and uh, BI platforms across different industries as professional services. So I had the privilege of, you know, understanding and looking and working with uh, several companies uh, in different areas. You know, it could be high tech, fintech, um, financial industry, telco, et cetera, uh, retail. All across the board, the main challenges were to create this, you know, one single point of truth as, as we used to market all the time, the data warehouse, right? Single. Um, a uh, place where you can find the organizational truth. Um, and when I got later on, many years after to the, to the airline, I understood that first of all, creating this one truth is very, very hard because there isn't one truth because each and every one of the pillars that I mentioned before had their own language, not just their own data, but their own language. And sometimes even the same, uh, you know, um, term, was used in several uh, pillars, but in a different way. For example, in, in the airlines, uh, load factor, right? So you have a load factor that the commercial people look at it as a load factor of people who pays money, right? They don't yeah. care about the crews. They don't care about the pilots. But the service, of course, they care about it because they have to serve those people. They have to bring food for them, etc. cetera. Um, so, for example, just this, you know, simple term as load factor can be three or four different uh, types of load factor that just needed to be uh, better. Uh, it's, so there's not one truth. There are four different terms, right? The service load factor and the commerce load factor, for example. So in this case, uh, you know, I had to first of all understand the differences and the conflicts and what was the main issues around everything beside, you know, even before I dealt with the data itself. Uh, so by that, I think the main um, process that we did in the airline is, you know, looking for those uh, quick wins when we could, first of all, align the language and then align it by the, the relevant data from the systems and not necessarily bring it to the same place, like a data warehouse or a simple place or a database that you can bring the data to. Uh, that was the main difference because um, it allowed us to create a very rapid, uh, you know, data products where the, this, you know, unified truth of this um, business uh, uh, pillar uh, was very easy for us to, um, you know, to implement. I think this is a, a good start, not only in data. We also preach this in digital to do one pilot, one small thing to prove like a proof of concept. How did this look uh, on, the, on your data side? How did you start? How did you get this first win? It's very important to choose your first battles, let's call it even though it wasn't a battle, of course, it was, you know, a challenge, but it's very important to choose uh, the places where you can feel that you have a very strong, for example, sponsor. In this case, in my case, it was the VP operations. And it was simple enough, you know, the world, the data world was simple enough for us to come up with a quick win. So even though we were uh, building data product on top of 14 different systems, and of course, none of them was, uh, you know, um, extracted to the data warehouse before, 
um, I knew exactly where I want to be. And that uh, was the, you know, the area of on-time performance, for example. So we started this, um, you know, one, one place of, uh, of working with uh, VP operations where we started to collect all the relevant information for him to have his weekly form, on-time performance uh, for weekly form, and collected all the relevant data for him to move from the PowerPoint to, in this case, Tableau, right? For him to see all the information that he needs in order for this discussion to be on the data and not what is the data, okay? So sometimes, you know, all the different units, they, they were kind of uh, fighting what's the right data and who's, who, who's, who's the one to blame. So once you have all the numbers and all the figures and all the, the relevant trends, et cetera, on the, you know, on the screen in front of you, automatically generated, you know, the conversation immediately shifted to, okay, so what's we're doing, what, what are we going to do with that? And not what are we looking for or what is the right number? So immediately once he had this, for example, on his mobile and, uh, and he had it on his screen in his weekly forum, he immediately kind of um, showed it or, you know, he was showing off in a good way to his, peer, uh, to his uh, colleagues and peers in the management. And from that point on, everybody wanted to have their own quick win, right? You know, create my own, you know, weekly forum or my own uh, data product that uh, I can immediately know my situation. And by that, you know, kind of uh, taking my decisions based on that. Now, it sounds very trivial, but as you mentioned before, uh, Bosjian, it, it, in the airline, it wasn't. But what you are saying about these quick wins, I really, I really like that, and and I'm always trying to pursue that, um, especially like in in these days. I think the one of the goals should be insights first, and then let's start to standardize. Because otherwise, if we want to standardize first, we wait too long, right? Do you do you think that that is somehow in line with what you are trying to achieve? as your first steps at Alal. Yeah, so we kind of created this methodology called Rapid BI. And by that, we kind of eliminated the need for a well-structured um, model to be created on uh, the data warehouse uh, in order for us to have a good BI implementation, for example. So what we created is kind of a semantic layer uh, where we defined all the objects that are needed for the business entities to be created. And we used, for in this case, for example, views uh, that were, um, you know, get, pulling the data from the sources that we brought from the uh, operational systems directly and not going through a, a relevant model in the data warehouse. And by that, we could really, um, in a fast way, implement, uh, you know, uh, data sources or, or operational systems data uh, into a, let's call it a pool or mirroring um, schema where we had our replication of whatever we needed from this operational system. And we created this business entities in this way reflected by views uh, that spoke in a um, business language. And we got our BI tools residing on those views. And once we got it very fast to the customers, uh, you know, to, to, to work with, immediately they found things that they wanted to change. So uh, we, we knew that as soon as someone gets his data product, he immediately understands exactly what he needs and that the, the thing that he got is not necessarily what he asked for. And by that, he started to make many changes. So that was fully okay because he, 
ask for a few things and and he has to uh, you know to reduce a few things and change here and and delete there and it was very easy for us to do because it was just you know changing the queries on top of the operational systems uh, in a way right because we had this replication and by that it was very easy as to 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 do to to get to the final let's say version of the product even though it's never final and now starting to uh, after two months or three months when he's fully productions you know the the product is fully production and he's working on it then now he understands what he wants and we can create the the structured model because now the design is is almost finished right the product is is good so now we can really make the data engineering part much better uh, and move it through the data warehouse in this case so this allows us to work on on several products simultaneously where we got this the operational system in this that's mirroring lake and creating this semantic layer which of course used utilized you know the same uh, dimensions in some way uh in several objects and and maintaining the one language even though behind the scene it was kind of quick and dirty but the, you know the customer doesn't care really if it's quick and dirty he just cares that he has his product yeah so it was very easy for us to implement that that's super interesting i guess that also had a huge impact on on the data culture uh, at Elal, right? Did, did that help people to do more, to start talking and thinking about data more? Yes, of course. What was the overall impact? So first of all, it was the first time that people really, I'll divide it to two, two places. The first one is that the data was reflected very fast in a very good way, very convenient way. That's why we chose, for example, Tableau to be used uh, on the mobile, you know, both uh, uh, phones and attend tablets it was very important for our people to utilize it um, and to visualize it very simply, even though they thought those are the kind of things you, can't ne- you can never connect, you know. So once you did it, once we did it, it, it was very, you know, it was like a, like a fire in a haste and like a very, very fast moving, you know, uh, as, as you know, rumor moved fast as, you know, there's a new uh, you know, data division, they can do magic for you. Now, the second thing was, I think the more, the, the more important part was the data literacy program. So uh, I had a, a very nice uh, lady that uh, was the head of data literacy program. And she was, uh, she mapped all the data users of the organization, which was approximately a thousand. And we kind of leveled them to, uh, you know, very simple users that are just, you know, getting the reports and that's it. Sometimes getting the reports and, you know, export it to Excel and nothing more. Uh, do all the analysis part on the Excel. Uh, we had the, you know, uh, medium level uh, analysts that were kind of, you know, drag and drop and working a, a bit better with data products. And we had, uh, you know, the very, very advanced ones, which we call them champions. Now, not every business unit needs to have a champion, right? But they have to have someone that will define what he needs. So, for example, you have to have one champion, two mediums, and five basic analysts. So we kind of created this program for them to learn how to become in the certain level that they need. So let's take uh, SQL, for example. Uh, if you have uh, just a simple query, where did you select where... This is kind of the basic platform. So we kind of taught the basics of SQL to those people. Now, if you had to have an intermediate level 
where you have to join a few tables and uh, make uh, you know some uh, um, analytical functions on top of that. That was the you know, medium level, and we had the second training for that and a few exams to make sure that uh, they are aligned to this level. And the more advanced part was, of course, uh, procedures and um, you know PLSQL developers that uh, kind of uh, were created on top of the the ones that they talked to before. So it kind of really became a program that everybody were part of. It's not something that we taught and they did. It's something that we kind of had joint goals of, uh, of this program. And we were kind of adjusting the, the needs and adjusting the methodology as, you know, as we go. It's, it's a never ending story. If someone thinks that, you know, implementing uh, data, data uh, culture is something that has a beginning and an end, He's, he got it all wrong. It's, it's a journey that never ends, and which is a good thing, right? You always learn and, and you always um, improve yourself along the way. You mentioned this data literacy and how you basically implemented or let's say developed champions and let's say more advanced users in different departments, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. This probably also added to agility and speed of which you can get insights because you spread the data, you basically democratize data across, across the company, right? So it's not sole privilege of the data, your data science or data department, but people, let's call them power users or champions, can do a lot of stuff with data by themselves, right? And not only that, they can train their own people. So if we create this program where we train the trainers in this case, you create, let's imagine, you know, 30, 30 champions across the, the, the organization, they can teach, you know, the medium and basic analyst without my interference because I'm, I don't want to be a bottleneck, right? I want to be someone who helps them or enables the business to do his job better. You know, I will never understand operations as well as the operation guys. Of course, I can learn, I can do all, the, all that I can in order to do so, but they will always be better than me than what they do. In cargo, the same, in service, the same, and of course, in finance, the same. But I can teach the people to utilize data in a better way and of course, when you talked about self-service, so those champions have the privileges of creating and even connecting to new sources by themselves. Because sometimes, you know, finance people have their own Excels, have their own sources that they, they want to utilize. And of course, if one of them will be very, you know, someone, a solid champion, I can give him all the privileges that needed to connect to his own source and work on that and create his own kind of, uh, you know, truth as far as, uh, as the business side in, in the finance department. Now, my challenge here would be not to lose track on whatever is going on, right? So in this case, I always keep track on those champions. The first model that we created was, of course, the auditor, which means I know in each and every one of the system who is using what and when. Uh, and that's very, very important for me, first of all, to understand whether it's, it's, it's a good product or not. And of course, a good product is being measured not only by how many how many people are using it, but for how long and what are the, as you mentioned, the insights that came out of it. But the second thing would be, um, of course, how self-service is this uh, unit? How many, for example, of uh, the requests that I get from this uh, unit can be done by themselves and I'm just becoming a bottleneck? So that's a very, very important KPI for me. And of course, in this case, the decreasing is better. Uh, the less, um, you know, Request. requests that I get that they can do on their, on their own, uh, the better for me and the organization, of course. 
That's that's really amazing, and and I've always wanted to have some sort of a data literacy program. Um, in your experience, now that you've done this, besides the pure technical skills that you mentioned, like SQL, what do you think are the other skills that people working with analytics trying to get insights? What kind of skills do they need to have to be successful? That's a wonderful question because I just confronted it in, in last week in, in MIT in one of the conferences that dealt with data leaders. So data literacy has two aspects. And as you mentioned, most people use data literacy to describe the uh, technical skills that the organization is, is getting better in, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and that's, that's, I won't say it's the easy part, but that's something, the obvious part. Yeah, that, that we can standardize, right? Yes, exactly. The second part would be the data literacy in a cultural way. And by that, I mean, how do you teach people to um, focus on the insight, right? And not on the dashboard and not on the charts. Sometimes people, and, and I teach in the university, a course that is called data visualization. And over there, I teach the students, for example, you know, what is, what is the message that you want to take out of this chart? When you think of the, what the person that's going to look at this uh, dashboard, what do you want him to understand? You have to focus him towards something. You, just, you can't just show him a few charts and let him understand on his own what, what he sees or not. Focus on the inside that you're looking for. And that's a culture. That's the way that you need to teach the, the people, first of all, to, to dream. Because sometimes they don't even dream of things that they can do. Sometimes they don't, you know, some, sometimes the IT people teach the business side, you know, uh, to ask the minimum in order to get something. And sometimes the other way around is it just makes it a lot easier because when he doesn't have any restrictions and he really thinks that he dreams big, sometimes it's, it's, it's far easier for the IT guy to implement it because um, for him, it's, you know, uh, just uh, two more, uh, you know, rows, rows of, 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 of code. So in this case, I, I teach them to, to dream and to, to talk business with us, with the data people, for us to understand the pain. When you talk about your pains, in, in when I, and of course, I'm, I'm talking about the data side, right? So you talk about pains and you talk about um, challenges that you face. I really understand your business language. I can then adjust the data products towards your needs. So the second part of the data literacy is the culture. First of all, to ask, to dream, and of course, to focus on the insights. And that part is nothing similar to the technical part because the way to measure that, for example, would be how many decisions were implemented in the operational side, okay? So for example, if I talk to you now, I would ask, okay, Let's say I have this data product for you now. What's your next up? What's your next step, right? It answers your question of what happened. Does it answer your question of why did it happen? Uh, does it answer your question of what's going to happen? Or do you, are you do you intend to implement it to something operational that's going to happen tomorrow? So for example, if, if, if I work with the station managers and we talked about the, their way of um, utilizing data in order to better operational the stations, I asked them, okay, let's say you have all the information necessary to understand the special service requests that are going to be happening in the, in the uh, airport. So in this case, you would answer, 
that I'm gonna, uh, you know, change or call for assistance from the local uh, assistant team in order to uh, fully understand what they're gonna do. So you mentioned this second part, more cultural part, that's much more important. And you also mentioned before the concept of rapid BI. Yeah. And this is something Bishan wrote about a lot in the past about agile. We call it agile BI, how to be proactive, how to go, like you're explaining now, from reactive, so or like how we were explaining before, so from watching the PowerPoints, data reports, Excel prepared PowerPoints to being proactive and finding proactively finding insights in the data. Do you think now that this journey that you made, so the platform, the data literacy program, did it prepare you? For now, the future that's much more volatile, so it's not so predictable. We don't have really stability to look in the past, to look in the past patterns, to predict the future. Do you think you're better prepared now? Or And what, what are the biggest challenges for the future uh, because of what's just happening around us? I'll give you an example. That's a great question. I'll give you an example. When I joined Elal, in order to understand yesterday's sales or just even know yesterday's sales, you had to wait for tomorrow. So it's a 48 hours difference. Now in our current world, there is no way there's going to be any, um, you know, a solid reason for a company to survive if they only know yesterday's sales tomorrow, right? So the main challenge here was technical, but it was something that allowed us to do because we dreamt. I said, you know, in the telco, there is not even a one model that is not working in real time or near real time. Or let's say, for example, if the source is available, there is no reason for us not to build the visualization layer in real time, right? Or all the data processes that are going to be involved with that. So yeah, you are correct. The, the entire world is changing now and you can't work on the supervised learning models because past models won't be relevant for now, maybe because everything was changed, right? But if you have all the reflection of the data in real time, you can really act in a better way than react in, in a 48 uh, hours latency. So everything we did was on the technical side, creating the right data platform for us to work and adjust ourselves to the business needs. So in this case, focusing more and more and more towards real time. On the predictive level, there are some models that remains the same, but most models specifically on the airlines, of course, um, did change. I know that. So, of course, we'll have to rebuild history, as, uh, as we like <laughs> to say. But yeah, but again, you know, sometimes if I work, for example, now on the credit card models, so I assume the credit card behavior was a big change, but it doesn't mean that people are you know, uh, shopping differently, uh, food or other things, right? So maybe I can create uh, or utilize the models that I created before for, for the future needs. So in this case, I would say not everything will go to trash. But of course, everything that we did already in real time is definitely going to be very, very, very powerful for us in the upcoming uh, months and years. That's a new standard. Which which department do you think um, has been the most of impacted by this COVID situation. Like my experience in, in the airline is mostly related to revenue management and, and revenue management, we were always relying on historical trends. And now with all these black swan events that we thought we, we had one, but apparently we have more than one. Um, how, how do you see that they changed? And 
through your data literacy program and your real-time availability of data, how did they, do you see the change in their behavior already or their approaches? Yeah. First of all, you know, the, I can name only one unit that hasn't changed dramatically. <laughs> all the rest, of course. <laughs> of course, uh, I can't say, you know, uh, when you have zero sales, you can say there was a big change in the commerce, right? Or uh, when you have no money, you can say it's a bit uh, disruption for the finance people. But the only department, of course, that when there are no flights, it's a bit changed for the, for the operational department. And no data for the data department, yes, right? <laughs> no, there is a lot of data. That's that, that that's the nice that's the nice thing. There's a lot of data because there are, for example, there were the the cargo flights. So they were the only thing that was uh, was working. For example, they told us, look, we have no uh, ability for us to uh, measure our forecasting uh, abilities because everything is like change every every day and new uh, business deals and and lots of cancellation and lots of. Uh, of uh, new opportunities. So they wanted to measure the way they, uh, you know, budget the cargo division or uh, the way they forecast the, 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 the cargo incomes. So immediately understood on the data side that the only place that can snapshot those uh, forecasting is the data warehouse or is the, the, the data engineering guys, right? So within days, we created a full model that allows them to snapshot all their predictions and in real time, see all the adjustments, right? So for example, we, because we had the ability to engineer very fast and to visualize it in a very smart way, we could really um, you know, focus our effort on the business unit that's still active and do whatever we can for it and, of course, make a huge impact on it. Of course, the finance people utilized all our experience with the cash flow, all the refunds model that are being um, you know, structured as we speak, and, uh, you know, the only unit that wasn't really, really harmed is the frequent flyer program, even though, uh, and by that, I mean the credit card, right? Not, mm -hmm. uh, of course, not uh, utilizing uh, redemption and accrual of points. So by that, we could really uh, focus our efforts on those people as well and, and, you know, deliver them something that we could never reach uh, due to lack of, of people. So not that... And on top of that, I forgot to say that 90% of the people are on unpaid leave. So I had to really focus my efforts on the right stuff because I had no privilege on, let's say, wasting, you know, human capital uh, for, for, for things that weren't the focus. You know, my background or my focus, let's say, is on commercial yeah. e-commerce digital side. And what I see and what we try to analyze is in the past, I saw, like Bustian said, with revenue management, also in the e-commerce, we were very oriented and focused on our internal data. So our website data, our website search, our booking data, PNR data, so our internal data. But now I've, because of these rapid cycles of change, I saw in US that they shortened the schedule planning cycles from four months to one month. I think we need to look much more outside, also on the external demand trend. So to be, to, to be able to be predictive, to find this, trends then to rapidly react with e-commerce, with digital marketing campaigns, things like that. In this, your ecosystem, how do you support, let's say, your digital marketing or your e-commerce to integrate external data into your, let's say, existing platform and existing uh, internal data? First of all, I couldn't agree more with what you said before. Uh, the needs for external sources is something that was used a lot. 
uh, especially if we're talking about the COVID-19 data uh, for us to, you know, to, to, to make sure that uh, we have all the necessary information for us to, to see whether a route is, is even, uh, you know, accessible for us or not and measure other phenomena around the world that are relevant now and uh, are only accessible for us from, from external sources. With regard to the digital world, where there more, there is a huge, huge challenge there. And, you know, uh, I meet my friend very well. They are struggling a lot, of course, because, um, you know, the sales was, uh, had a huge, huge drop. And they had to maintain and make, make sure that, uh, first of all, everything is reflected in the right way. Um, and they, of course, published, they started to publish everything around cargo and focus their efforts on what's, what's possible and what's not. And by that, we supported them with relevant data, uh, sometimes from, from new sources, as mentioned before. Uh, for example, I don't know, medical equipment that we shipped it from, all, from, from China to all around the world. So uh, sometimes we saw opportunities of where countries really dealt with, struggled with, uh, you know, a lack of uh, equipment. So we wanted to publish to those kind of uh, people or those countries that there is a way to bring, uh, you know, more uh, medical devices from China, use, utilizing El Al's cargo, etc. Um, but yeah, it was a huge struggle on, on his side, especially when, when we stopped kind of for, for a period, uh, the sales totally. Thanks for all the insights. But to wrap this up, maybe two yes. personal <laughs> questions, more personal, one from Bustian and one from me. So Bustian, maybe first you. L- listening to you, describing what you've done at Elal and also like in your previous roles, um, how you are on top of things. It makes me wonder since like the, the data, the analytics world is really changing fast, evolving fast. And what we know today may be old news tomorrow. How, how do you cope with this progress? How do you learn? How do you think that we should all learn in order to to stay relevant and in order to help the businesses answer the business questions that are changing? I would say two things, two suggestions. First of all, you said, uh, you know, the magic world, the magic word, uh, learn. I think the most important uh, characteristic of our our time is the ability to learn. Um, I also teach in the university because I want to learn everything about the new technologies that are out there. I spend a lot of hours during the week to learn new capabilities, new trends, and new uh, abilities that exist, even though not, uh, some of them are not implemented, of course, uh, in, in my specific company. Mm-hmm. So the first suggestion would be never stop learning. The second suggestion would be stay very close um, to the field. And for us, you know, technical guys, data guys, Sometimes it's very uh, comfortable for us to stay behind the screens and write code and write models and build models and data engineering uh, part and, and visualization. It has no meaning if you're not close to the, to, 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 you know, to the field, if you don't go out with technicians, if you don't um, spend time uh, with uh, you know, the service people, you uh, listen to um, uh, service uh, call center um, agents, spend your time in the field, understand the business that you're working on, you know, the, your data for. There's a meaning behind every number. Understand this meaning and what it will be used for before you even write your first, you know, uh, row of code, of, of code. My last question is because 
Yeah, we talked about this in the past. You're also we say, we share <laughs> other same fashion besides uh, data, and that's the basketball. You're a basketball coach, and what I see, for example, is because I work in two, let's say, areas of digital and marketing. Especially marketing was hit by this data-driven culture being data-driven, and I see same trend in the basketball. So we had these advanced sports analytics data, and yes. we see in both areas old school marketing directors who say, look, we do this, we know our customers, we are creative people, we know, you know? And it's the same with old school coaches. You say, we watch games, we don't need data. Who do you th- for who do you think it's this new wave is more difficult, for marketers or for the <laughs> basketball people? First of all, yes. Because there are parallels, but right? I will, I, for, I, you know, we both love basketball, right? And we love, we love, we love you, you know, uh, yes. uh, throwing, throwing a basketball to the hoop. Uh, and in your case, uh, you even put it inside. So I would say that utilizing all those, um, you know, different stats. And for example, think about yourselves and, and yourself and when you're watching a, a basketball game. Can you imagine yourself watching uh, an NBA game now without all the information around it? It will be like running without measuring anything. Uh, for us, it's, it's, we can't do it anymore. Unfortunately, we're not enjoying the game on its own. We're enjoying the game only if we see all the stats around it. And of course, in, in soccer as well, how, how many kilometers did the, the, you know, the, the player ran? Uh, what do I care how many kilometers did, did, did he ran? But you know, now I can't see the game without understanding all the stats behind every pass and every uh, ball that the goalkeeper caught. Uh, what was the, you know, the, the, the speed of the, the kick? But uh, I think that as long as we're going to be filled with numbers, uh, the, the pressure on the sportsmen and the sports team would rise because everything is measured, right? For us, it becomes like an addiction to know all the numbers about everything. Uh, it makes it a lot more fun because we really feel even more involved than just seeing um, you know, a great player making a basket. So I think it's, it's, it's going to be something that's going to leverage everything because if you can utilize the data, not only for the game itself, but to understand the spectators, understand the trends of the, of the, of the people that are watching the game uh, on television, on mobile devices, on tablets. I, for example, did a lot of interesting insights on the type of customers that are using, and hear it correctly, using the app of the TV station, the, the TV um, that I used to work for, you know, right? The, uh, the telco company that I used to work for, I was kind of clustering the kind of um, spectators that were utilizing the tablets and mobile devices while using their app where they're not at home. And sometimes I clustered the people that probably were in some sort of an event, for example, with their wives and watching soccer, uh, you know, on, on the in, in the corner <laughs> of a wedding or something. So I found those people that are watching even 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes of a soccer game because they had to go out of this, uh, you know, their house, even though I'm sure they wanted to stay at house and watch this football, but at least they didn't miss the last, uh, you know, 30 minutes. So we call them, you know, uh, urgent sports, you know, or, or um, sports spectators under emergency cases or something <laughs> like that. You know, we clustered everything. So I think this cluster was really relevant for them for divorce. Deliver directly on the present <laughs> system, yes. <laughs> Great. No, yes. Great insights, Ido. Uh, no thanks problem. again for this talk. And I wish you all the best with your further data 
initiatives Correct. at El Al uh, and looking forward to and catching up with you in the future. looking forward to play one-on-one. Don't forget, it's top. You two will play, I will yes, record, yes. and I will, I will... Measure. Don't measure. Please, please, Bocia, don't measure anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, uh, we don't need any yes. statistics for that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's it's on Ido, so when we catch no up, we play no best. Problem. Thanks Have again, Bye-bye. and all the Bye-bye. best. This podcast is supported by Pros. Pros is also the launch partner and a contributor to the Dig and Travel Digital Retailing Academy. With a legacy of over 30 years in the airline industry, Pros supports carriers on their journey to digital commerce. Through the Academy, we want to promote the recovery of the industry we love. The Academy is a carefully crafted learning experience in which industry professionals will engage you and support you through understanding the fundamentals of airline digital retailing, as well as deep dive with you into your selected topics. During this program, Pro's experts will introduce you to the topic of digital product development and help you learn how to increase web and mobile conversion and improve the digital experience for travelers. Enroll in the Academy to master your digital skills with pros and dig in travel.